Hey, hello, and welcome to the show. It's me, JP. It's time for John Park's workshop. And uh, I'm in my workshop, but I'm pretending I'm up in New York or over in New York in the uh, factory because I still have my green screen up from the live stream yesterday, the Adabox unboxing. And we're going to talk about that a whole bunch today, talk about uh, some behind the scenes stuff with the unboxing. But I figured uh, we either get to look at me, the mime version on black, or we can have uh, this background. I really, what I need to do is take a good picture of my workshop when I don't have the green screen up, so then I can just stick it back there uh, and cheat. Uh, in fact, my friend who hipped me to this retro-reflective green screen uh, material and method said that he just uses that trick so that he doesn't have to clean his workshop uh, or his workspace where he broadcasts from. So he just, he has a picture of a cleaned version of his, his uh, office. I love that. Um, oh, okay. So Doctor says they're watching the behind the scenes before watching the unboxing itself. Just got their Adabox 18. That's excellent. Uh, all right. So let's first of all start off with a couple things. I've got uh, this help wanted job board sign up. Uh, so if you head on over to the page right there, that's jobs.adafruit.com, you'll see that there are open job positions, including this one up at Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories up in uh, Sunnyvale, up in Northern California. Uh, terrific people making very cool products. You may be familiar with some of them, including, uh, let's see, they've got the um, Eggbot. They had a watercolor painting robot at one point. I'm not sure if they're selling that at this point. Uh, they have the AxiDraw, which is a signature drawing and, and uh, line plotter product. So head on over to, in fact, let me, let's click on, if you go to the Evil Mad Scientist site, there you go, there's AxiDraw, <clears throat> AxiDraw, excuse me, uh, and a bunch of other products. And so they've got an opening listed right here on our jobs board for a uh, light duty mechanical manufacturing and assembly tasks needed. So a manufacturing assistant full time. So if you're up in Northern California or thinking of moving there and looking for some work, check it out. It might be interesting to you. Uh, so that's the jobs board over at jobs.adafruit.com. And uh, let's see, what else do we have? Um, when, when, when you say, hey, who's he talking to? Keeping an eye over on YouTube chat. Hello, uh, Keith and Dave. Welcome to the chat. And then uh, a whole bunch of good people over in our Discord. If you go to adafruit.it, that's our URL shortener, adafruit.it, slash discord. You'll get an instant invite link into our discord and the live broadcast chat channel is where the conversation is happening. So head on over there. Um, and let's see. Um, the next thing I want to mention is my show on Tuesdays uh, is the JP's product pick of the week. And my pick this week was this Neo Key Trinky. And uh, the Product pick of the week is about 15 minute long. Do a bunch of demos, or at least a demo. Uh, do some background on the product, show, show some uh, code examples. And then I also make this little one minute recap. So let's take a look at that. Here you go. The NeoKey Trinky. This is like a USB key or a thumb drive, but it accepts a keyboard key switch, mechanical key switch. You solder it onto there. 
and it's got the capacitive touch on the end. You can do any sort of HID thing. So this can be MIDI. You can do control alt delete button. I've got a Raspberry Pi 400 computer sitting right here. This is going to, when I press it, enter in my Tobin's uh, emoji. It is the NeoKey Trinky, and it is a mechanical key switch, USB key style trinket with an underlit NeoPixel and capacitive touch. Yeah, okay, so go check that out. Uh, and those were discounted 50% off during the live stream. So if you are able to catch the live stream, you can watch from inside the product page. Uh, one of the first things I do is send out a blog post that has a little link. It'll take you to the product page. You can watch it from in there and you can get that 50% off during the live stream. So uh, go check that out next week. I'll be doing another one on Tuesday. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> next up, how about this little thing called the Circuit Python Parsec? That was me talking about the fact that I didn't think my audio was working. So thanks for alerting me <laughs> over in the chat. People were like, hey, you're muted. I was like, yeah, you know what? I have my audio mixer window up. So I just peeled that off and set that over to the side so I can see some VU meters bouncing up and down. So whew. All right. For the CircuitPython Parsec today, I wanted to talk about analog output. So we've talked about digital in, digital out, analog in, and now analog out. So these general purpose in-out pins, I'm in this case using the Cutie Pie, the, a lot of these pins can serve many different duties. In the case of this board, the A0 pin can act as an analog output. So that's a digital, digital to analog converter, DAC. What that means is we can send it commands and it will send a voltage varying from zero to 3.3 volts, which is the range that this board can do on those pins, or maybe zero to three, I forget. Um, the code that you need to do that is very straightforward. So if you look here, I'm importing time. <clears throat> I'm importing time so that we can do pauses, importing board so that we get the pin definitions, and I'm importing the analog IO library. Then I set up my analog pin by calling this analog out equals analog IO dot analog out, and then name the pin, in this case, board A0. That's the pin that I have this yellow wire plugged into that's running to one terminal on this meter. And then my black pin there is going to ground and the other uh, terminal on the meter. And then in code here, I've just set up a little uh, variable that's the maximum value. So in this case, 65,535 is the maximum value that that can go to, which equates to its top voltage. And then I also set one up for half of that, an integer of half of that. Uh, then in my code, all I'm doing to test this out, and this could be writing to uh, anything that can receive a sort of low current analog value. Uh, and in this case, what I'm doing is I'm sending the value of zero, waiting a second, sending that half value, and that's when you'll see it ping up here in a second. It'll jump up, boop, 
half, then full, boop, then drop it to medium, drop it to zero, and then I'm using this little range uh, for loop to sweep through every value pretty quickly, and then drop by uh, subtracting one from that so that we uh, drop down back down to zero. And so that is how you can use an analog output inside of CircuitPython, and that is your CircuitPython Parsec. Uh, all right, so let's see. Any questions in the chat there? Um, the one thing I'll say is a couple places to find out some of these very basic things that I've been covering are one, the uh, CircuitPython Essentials page. So if we jump back over into Chrome here, uh, I'm going to go to learn.adafruit.com. And I usually just type in Essentials, E-S-S, -S, and that jumps right to this great guide by Katni called CircuitPython Essentials. If you head here, uh, you will see a whole bunch of essential tasks that you can go through uh, and how to wire them up as well as run the code and get set up with the proper libraries. And the other resource I've been using is the uh, CircuitPython Tricks page that Toddbot has set up. So... Let's see, it is here, github slash toddbot slash circuitpython dash tricks. And in here you'll find a lot of real fundamental things. Some of them uh, not so basic, some of them a little more advanced, but really great tricks to remember. And so he's got them all here on this GitHub page. So uh, those are a couple places to look for fundamental CircuitPython things. Uh, and let's see, wow, there's so many of me. <clears throat> what have we got next? I think we're ready to jump in. Have I forgotten anything? No, I think we're ready to jump into talking about some behind the scenes stuff from the unboxing video. So first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna turn on the AC because it's getting a little hot in here and my cameras like to overheat. So come back here. Um, so first thing I'll, I'll, I'll do is I'm gonna bring up the um, a copy of the video here. We're not going to go through it painstakingly step by step, I promise, but I got some good questions from people about uh, how, how this process works of creating the unboxing. Uh, everything from concept to uh, shooting to compositing and effects and post-production. So I'm going to cover a few of those things. Uh, here is a copy of the video. So you can go and uh, check this out on our YouTube. Uh, for the full unboxing evening. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Uh, and you can also find this inside of the guide for AdaBox 18. So um, there were essentially three major sections of this in my mind that uh, I'll show you. So one is this intro. And the intro goes from a logo to a uh, character inside of a cutout version of the AdaBox product, which is that fun house there, uh, on a backdrop with these rolling clouds, looking like Kansas. Then it transitions from that into a uh, sort of intro to the unboxing. Um, and in this section, early section, I'm actually reading the copy. I usually read the copy from our 
blow-in card. So this has uh, some, usually three, four paragraphs there. And I, I'll read those sometimes just as a voiceover while I'm showing something else. In this case, I did, decided to do it on camera. Uh, then I cut to uh, kind of a closer up of me and uh, the, the clouds are no longer rolling back there. And then I transition into Technicolor. Uh, so we go into this color mode uh, just like Wizard of Oz. So if you didn't know, and I'll talk about that a bit, the concept here, some of the uh, theming was around the, uh, the there's no place like home because it's a home assistance device. Um, and the Wizard of Oz from sepia tone to Technicolor uh, and then back to sepia tone at the end when we go back to, back home uh, was, was a concept there. And so then you can see after that, that shift, I'm in this uh, color land. I'm using kind of a theatrical backdrop of uh, Oz. I'll talk about that a little bit. And then it's straight into the unboxing with some exceptions. So you can see here, uh, I've got a second character here. So initially it's Dorothy. Then I've got the second character of Scarecrow in the background. Just as a little teaser, I'll talk about that, um, why I did it and, and uh, how, how it's done technically. And then maybe a couple other little things along the way. Uh, here was another one that Stuart had asked about doing a, a second character. Um, fast forward there. So you can see I've got a, a second me coming in as Tin Man as the Scarecrow leaves the scene. Um, and so let's, let me pull that out of the way for a second. So um, in fact, I'll go to the black backdrop there. The uh, questions that I had. So I'm going to start with one from Seagrover, which was uh, interested in the evolution of the artistic design, uh, how you go from a, a sort of a, a brief, hey, you're going to be doing an unboxing to that, uh, that, that performance as well as that pre-edited part. If you didn't know, by the way, I pre-shoot uh, and edit and composite and post-production on a 20-ish minute long video, and that's the unboxing video, and then that uh, that plays, and then I go to live where I usually do demos. Um, so I've actually kind of got both of those aspects to talk about. So if you look actually right here, right behind me, um, I've mentioned this before. I've actually shown this as a project. The uh, green screen here. is a couple of pieces of this retro reflective material. And you can see I've got one right here, right behind me uh, at my workstation where I do this part of the show and some parts of the unboxing. Um, it's actually, some tape came off, so that's gonna have a little bit of a seam, but this is really forgiving stuff compared to a traditional green screen because it's got that retro reflection. Um, and so if I turn that chroma key back on, you can see it basically disappears with, with some small, small exception, exceptions if you create a blur. Um, so I have one here and I have one over here in this part of my workshop. Again, if we turn that off, you'll see, uh, let's grab that layer one second. So you can see there again, I got, uh, got a screen over there. If I turn that light off or even just kind of cover it with my, my hand, um, I can go to a blue screen, 
pure white and off. So that's the actual screen back there. Um, so the um, that is a separate project that I've done. So you can go to Learn Guide and check out retroreflective green screens. So I know there were some questions about that. Uh, one thing I did in in uh, the case of the scarecrow shots, if you look at uh, these shots here, I'm wearing a green shirt. I've got a little bit of green makeup. So I actually shot that on blue screen. So those uh, were blue screened so that we didn't have to worry as much about shooting through. Probably uh, that's just me flexing on the fact that the setup can do that because my green in the shirt is fairly far away. But uh, sometimes you can have problems if you're even kind of in the neighborhood of the hue that you're trying to pull the key on. Um, but uh, back to the question that um, C. Grover had. So that was sort of the abstract was like, hey, we've got this concept of uh, a Wizard of Oz thing and a there's no place like home thing. Um, and so Phil and Lamore said, hey, you're going to figure out a character or some characters to dress up as. Um, and one of my thoughts was rather than do like a full-blown character in a full costume, what if I did kind of a nod to it? And this, this home thing had me thinking about like a handyman and, and this idea of doing work shirts. Um, and I was inspired actually by this thing uh, you may or may not have heard of. It's called uh, Disney Bounden or Bounding or to Disney Bound. Um, and... What this is, is a um, sort of a variation on cosplay that people are allowed to do at Disneyland and Disney World Resorts because they don't allow anyone over a certain age, like 12 or something, to dress in a costume. So they let kids dress in costumes, but Disney doesn't want people, adults, uh, dressing up in full-blown costumes for whatever reason. Uh, and so people have come up with this idea of dressing in a way that suggests a character without being in a full-blown costume. So if you just look up Disney Bound or Disney Bounding, you'll see lots of examples. Uh, I love this guy here in this photo who's, who's got a sort of Donald Duck uh, look by doing this, this white pants, yellow belt, blue shirt, red bow tie, uh, and, the, and the shades. Um, so that was a thought is I, I would do kind of a nod to rather than full-blown costume work for those characters. Um, and then once I uh, decided to do that, my wife had the idea of getting name badges. So we thought, okay, if I'm going to be Dorothy, I've got to have a sort of gingham check shirt. And we found a seller on Etsy who would do these name badges pretty quick. So these are nice embroidered uh, badges, and I got one for each character. So I've got the Dorothy character. We bought that shirt. I happen to already have the, the green and the tan shirts. So there's the scarecrow. Um, here is the Tin Man shirt, work shirt that I got, and then here's Lion. Um, and then part of that was it would also free me up to not be in character, like deeply in character during this, which I loved doing for the Rocky Horror Picture Show particularly. That was an absolute blast to, to get to play Riff Raff uh, and Frankenfurter. But uh, for this one, it seemed like it would be a bit much some of those characters are not really able to talk to you in a straightforward way if you're being the Cowardly Lion or, or the Scarecrow. Uh, so I figured I would be mostly me uh, delivering that with a little hint of those characters. So that was, I think, um, 
to answer your question, Seagrover, some of the creative thought process that I went through for doing that. Um, I got a question about how you prepare something like this from Mr. Certainly, uh, who said, uh, who asked, do you storyboard the flow of the scenes? Um, what I often do is actually uh, do a shot breakdown of the scenes that I want to do, and then I uh, make bullet points of the beats that I want to hit. So I have um, scene zero is my intro, so that's either just going to be the voiceover, and I'll do graphics on top of it later, or in this case I've decided to shoot it. Not being sure exactly how I was going to show it, uh, visually, but knowing that if I shot it on the green screen, I'd have options. Uh, and so then when I got to that section uh, of the uh, assembly process, I decided to make it different from the sort of intro of me standing there and, and talking at my workbench and instead uh, set it inside of this uh, little cutout version of the of the fun house like I'm in a house, like I'm in Dorothy's house. Um, so I have these major beats and I, I think there are six major scenes plus this scene zero intro. Uh, and those go through uh, an introduction, hello. It goes into a let's open the box. It goes into a I'm gonna take the things out. I switch characters to Scarecrow and I actually uh, show each thing. Then I switch to the Tin Man to do the let's go into deep detail on the main event thing. And I've done this on, on most of the unboxings I've done, which uh, I think I started these on maybe Adabox 7 uh, or 6 was the first one I did. So this was number 18. So I've done a bunch of these and I've, I've largely kept that format of saying I'm going to introduce it. I'm going to show you the contents. I'm going to go into deeper dive on the main thing. Then if there's assembly or something you have to put together, I'll show that. Uh, and then do a little bit of a, a wrap-up and then go to the live section. Um, so that's my, my planning process. And then in this case, I had the extra layer, and the last few have had extra layer of trying to determine what character I'm going to be or what sort of um, scene it is, if there's a change. So uh, in this one, it was deciding which character does each thing and kind of distributing among the four of the, the characters I was going to do. Um, the, uh, another question here actually that, that is related was, um, I'm going to turn this AC off for a second because I think it's cooled off enough and I hate shouting over it. Um, another, uh, question I got from C. Grover is, do you ever essentially bite off more than you could chew? You have a plan for something and then go, oh wow, this is either going to be too hard or I don't have the footage for it or whatever, and just like bail or shift. Um, that was a brief consideration on this, this one here of doing some animation of the house either flying, kind of always moving in camera like I'm flying in the house that Dorothy's sort of spinning up in the tornado. Um, but the amount of time it would take to do it well, to do the animation in a way that, that I was happy with, I just didn't have it. And so I said, this is just straight up not going to happen. So uh, that was a case where I, I briefly considered getting real fancy and, and animating that uh, flying around, but I just uh, didn't have the time, time for it. Um, let's see. The um, other case of this actually uh, is sometimes when I get uh, into the filming process, because I'm doing this as sort of a, a, a solo 
uh, venture, it's, it can be tricky to keep track of all the different things from like technical stuff like lighting and sound and, and recording uh, to doing the performances and remembering all the lines, which I tend to have bullet points in my head and just speak freely. I don't like to read from a script when I can avoid it. Uh, in this case, this is one of the few cases where I've actually used a, uh, a screen as a, as a teleprompter just so I could get all the facts right on the exact sensors that are on the board so I wouldn't leave one out. Uh, and the, the specifications, the resolution, all those things uh, I used to teleprompter so that I wouldn't have to do a bunch of takes or, or really sit there memorizing something. Um, but that said, sometimes I miss something. I forget something. So when I got to uh, this Tin Man going through the board, uh, it went well. I, I talked it's about all the parts on it. Let's see. Can I turn the sound off on that? Turn that off. Uh, I talk about all of the pieces and parts. This one, I, I hit everything. Um, was happy with it. Did like a rough edit of it later to look at it. I think I maybe did two takes of this one. Um, and then like a day later, I woke up at like five in the morning and said, I never turned the thing on. <laughs> and I should have. Uh, so since I didn't have, you know, this one didn't ship with a battery. It doesn't use batteries and it didn't, have, it didn't ship with a USB uh, plug. So I just didn't have it sitting there. So it didn't even occur to me. Um, and so I decided rather than reshoot that, I would just make a um, essentially second unit photography uh, shoot and film what you see there on the left. So just film it, put a mat around it, overlay it. And, and then um, when I filmed that, I listened to myself and, and watched that on a confidence monitor. So I was just kind of doing things since my face isn't on it, doesn't matter. So I'm watching a monitor, turning things on, touching things at the, at the appropriate moments so that it matched up pretty well. Um, so that was another case of, of going, um, uh, things not going exactly as planned. Um, so uh, Stuart had some questions about the green screen um, when I replaced myself. And I think someone else had asked about that too. And by the way, let me know in um, the chat if you have other questions. I'll, I'll try to keep a, a, an eye on that. Um, so let me jump over to uh, Premiere here. So here you can see um, this is my editing software. And the techniques I'm showing here, I'm happy to show them. Sorry, my microphone is peeling off. I hope you can still hear me. Um, I'm happy to show these techniques because they are fairly universal and uh, for people who don't uh, pay for Premiere, you're going to find very, very similar techniques work in other software, particularly DaVinci Resolve, which I recommend to people. It's a, a professional grade um, suite that includes video editing, compositing, effects, audio. It's, it's really terrific. Um, so here in Premiere, for, for example, um, Let's look at the, the process of one of these shots. So um, here we have, let's see, show, yeah, okay. So what I tend to do is, I sh can you still hear me? Yeah. Um, I tend to, uh, shoot two or three cameras. For these unboxings, usually two cameras. 
that are not synced to each other. I'm not using Genlock. These are consumer level uh, mirrorless micro four thirds cameras. So I'm not running them into each other with, uh, with a, a, a sync cable. So uh, it, they may or may not be perfect, but it's good enough for this. And that means I'm also not running any sort of automated sync to audio. So I use uh, a, a time-honored method of um, picking up a film slate, a little clapper, uh, and I point that at both cameras. I kind of angle it and I, and I clap it so that I can see um, let me show you on this one. Let's see. There you go. I've just snapped it down. Uh, let's see. Can I bring that one up? There you go. So that's what that looks like. And bam. So you just match the audio waveform, which will be a big spike, with that moment when the clapper slapped down. And then you get, you get sync. Uh, and then what I end up with over here on the right is two perfectly synced camera shots that I can cut between at any time. And that's what the sort of majority of my workflow is for showing things is this multicam session where I basically have rough edited things. I hit play and then I can hit some keys, some hotkeys to make an edit point between one camera or the other. And I can see both of them as I do it. So in that process, I end up with the, me talking, my hands, me talking, my hands, and it's all in sync. Um, so that's, that's called multicam typically. Um, I'm paranoid about this microphone falling off. So, uh, then in the case of this scarecrow shot, uh, here's kind of layers of what I have. Let's, um, take off a color correction node. So this is, this is me making a, uh, a color correction. It's actually subtle, and I don't think you can see it on this as well as I see it on my monitor here. Um, but this is to match a consistent color grading across all of my shots. So I do little, little color tweaks. Um, and so let me turn that off. And then I've also done some pre-color uh, balancing of the individual elements. Uh, there's that little scarecrow shot. So that was actually a separate shot. Uh, you can see it here, and there you can see I'm, I'm on the blue screen for that shot. Um, and this was another case of, um, I didn't quite know what I was going to do with this. I was in costume. I think I had not yet shot yet. And I said, I'm just going to kind of be the character for a moment so that I can uh, kind of get into it, do a funny, goofy antic of some kind. And I'm not sure what I'm going to use them for. I didn't transition right from those into talking. Uh, and then later during the editing process, I said, oh, you know what? Since I'm being Dorothy now and then I'm going to be Scarecrow, I'm going to preview or, or sort of um, hint at that character a little bit, give a little Easter egg of that character. So I don't make, you know, the Dorothy character doesn't really make any acknowledgement of that. Uh, and by the way, I can see my, my playback is, is probably kind of stuttering as I do that. But um, so that's, that was kind of the genesis of, genesis of that idea of putting that character in there. Um, the background is actually a sort of quick and dirty painting I did uh, in Photoshop to just sort of mimic the look of the backdrops in, um, in the movie. Uh, oh, that's funny. I can see that I am, my premiere session is chroma keying the green out. Hold on one second. Ah, there's the green back. <laughs> um, 
that didn't need to have a green screen apply. So the um, I had brought it in as a, as a background. I, I while I built it in layers in Photoshop. Uh, rather than go and, and grab two layers to put myself behind that hill there, because I basically shot, you can see, with the, with the workbench in my lap, so I had to, had to get that out of there. So for something like this, I'm doing kind of two mats. One is the green screen, or in this case the blue screen mat, uh, chroma key, and then there's also uh, a, let me go to, this mask here, um, let me see if I can, Zoom in a bit so you can see how that works. Uh, and so all this does is allow me to very roughly pull out um, some sections like a little cutout, a little, little uh, garbage mat cutout, this is often called. Um, so that, uh, in this case, I might have just left it still or I might have needed to animate it. Yeah, sometimes I animate these if, I, if I'm moving around a lot and there's a need to, you can animate the points of those. Uh, in this case, it just, it just allowed me to make it look like I'm sitting uh, behind that hill. Um, and so it's a very similar technique actually when we get to uh, the Tin Man. So here is uh, another shot where I... Um, had done a little bit of character antics of, of me being uh, this Tin Man. Zoom in here a little bit. So I just sat in front of the camera and did some little Tin Man kind of stuff. Uh, but then I comped it, you know, did the, did the green screen pull. And then I did some animation of its scale and position on screen. So when, when that comes in, rather than us both being up on top of each other, I kind of make it seem like the character's sort of being wheeled up or something. It doesn't look like I'm walking, but that's okay for the Tin Man. Uh, and those are, again, two separate shots that are... Um, so there's this one, and you can see actually on this, in this case, I had to swap which workbench you saw so you didn't notice uh, the shift over because things had moved on the workbench. So I did, uh, I, I brought in the Tin Man's workbench on top of the Scarecrow. So, so there's a uh, again, a bunch of shenanigans uh, to make that work. So there's this, there's this, and then there's this shot that's just the workbench. A little, little composite of those elements. Um, something else that I did here up towards the beginning is um, if we go to... Uh, by the way, one thing that I'm doing here is I'm kind of building things up, so I'll... I'll edit the majority of it, except they didn't edit the intro all in one go, and then I rendered that out, brought it back in, and now the software isn't thinking as much. I'm kind of pre-compositing uh, things, uh, pre-rendering things, and then doing more on top of it where I can get away with it. Uh, so that's why you'll see in this timeline here, a bunch of this has nothing going on other than some looped audio, but this is all of the, uh, the intro stuff here at the beginning. Um, let's see. And why is that? Okay, so on this one, let's see if I can zoom some of these things up a little bit more. Uh, for this, let's see, does that have, yeah, this will be subtle. Can you see that? You may or may not be able to see that. So one of the things that happens is that since you've got different elements, uh, in this case, I've got like a very clear photo of this uh, from our product page. And then I've got this sort of blurry, depth of field blur, 
uh, Kansas background with some composited clouds, and then I've got me uh, cut out using, using the chroma key. A lot of these elements don't seem to kind of fit together very well um, until you start doing things like applying a universal color grade across them and adding grain. So I added a bit of film grain on top of it. Uh, it's heavy-handed, a little more heavy-handed at the beginning because of that sepia tone look, uh, but it, it, it emulates the noise that you get from film uh, grain moving, changing, the emulsion changing from frame to frame. Um, and one of, this, one of the things is that this does is it tends to unify stuff. So getting this, uh, this um, composited top layer of grain uh, that is consistent across the whole thing. So as it's changing, it looks like the change is kind of, you know, across the whole thing. That helps marry all the, all the different elements that are um, kind of cookie-cuttered together. So I've got an element of that. Uh, I've got an element of, here's, here's this color grade. So you can see my uh, Kansas background I had graded already in Photoshop. Uh, the clouds I had desaturated, but they still got some blue in them there. The uh, uh, funhouse is as is, and, and I don't have too much color grading on me, but then when we put this grade across the top of it of adjusting the color curves and saturation, uh, it helps to, to blend stuff together. And again, these are things that are, um, I'm, I'm doing a, a fairly quick job at this. This isn't like six months of a VFX film or something like this. This is a few days, but the techniques, you can, you can use some of these basic techniques for stuff that's real quick and, and dirty, but still is fun and looks good. Uh, or you can really refine the heck out of them like people do on, you know, blockbuster VFX films. Um, and then let's see, what else, what other layers do I have on here? Here's that house. Uh, there's me. Again, I've cut out, actually didn't really need to, but I think I, at one point my hands might go out of, go too wide and go out of the window. So I, I put a little bit of a mat on top of me there, I think at the, towards the beginning of the shot, maybe. Yeah, right there. So you'll see my hands get cut off there because I'm doing a, uh, another one of these masks just to kind of keep myself constrained inside the window. Um, let's see. Other questions. Um, I'm going to check the chat, actually, because I think there's been some questions in there. Um, let's see. How long does it take to film a 20-minute production segment like this? How long to edit? Ah, that's a good question. So I actually... Um, Filmed it in two sessions on, on two separate days, uh, a few hours each. It went really well. You know, sometimes it can take many takes to get something. I think most of this was within one or two takes. Um, and that's, that's great because it means less to deal with when you're editing as well. Uh, in fact, I think only two shots had two takes. The rest of them had one take, which is um, a, uh, a skill that you tend to... to some people are great at that anyway, but it's by doing a lot of these that are very similar. I, I, I've gotten good at doing them in, in a take, which is uh, a gift to future me who has to sort and edit stuff. So um, sometimes having two takes, even if you think you got a good one, is good to take a second take because then if you find a mistake, it's very easy to cut in. Since I always go down to the workbench and then back up to me, it's really easy for me to, to cut in uh, and you won't notice a continuity error. Uh, so a couple days of filming, uh, editing probably about uh, part days, about four or five days. So so I spread it out. The 
I think the night I finished shooting, I did one rough edit. I was like, I'm just going to bring in all the A cameras, which is the me and the workbench. I'm just going to chop those roughly so I see how long it is and if it feels like uh, it has the right, um, all the right info in it, the right arc to it. Um, and then probably uh, another couple of days of work of doing some sweetening of audio, some uh, effects stuff, some uh, film grain things, things that I leave when I can towards the end. Um, yeah, Mr. Certainly the, says the DaVinci Resolve has a free tier too, so that's totally free software, which I, I really do recommend. I'm going to turn my AC back on. Um, in fact, both of my kids have spent uh, a good amount of time in DaVinci Resolve this, this school year because they do, um, they're both in drama and in choir and so shooting and editing music videos and acting scenes and stuff they've they've uh, both learned resolve which is an excellent skill I think to have uh, and transferable from this to an avid to a premiere to final cut um, they all tend to use the same grammar um, similar interfaces uh, let's see what else um, Yeah, Doctor says they sync their cameras and audio by making unique, strange sounds for each clip. That's good. Uh, by the way, a note about um, slating. Having something like that right towards the beginning makes life a lot easier when a file name goes weird. If you can scrub and see what your um, scene, take, the date, if there's unique info, if you're shooting two different cameras, I'll put that on there. And then uh, for my main camera, these are settings that I want to get uh, correct, so I just mark down uh, aperture and shutter speed and ISO and uh, white balance setting, and as well as my key light, what percentage it's a, it's a dialable light. So that's what uh, that serves a couple of duties there for you. You can also use these for uh, getting color balance if you have issues between shots because you've got like a um, standard set of uh, colors there that you can balance to between shots if you need to. So. That makes my life a lot easier. Um, and these are 30 bucks on Amazon or something like that, or go to a film supply if you've got one. Um, we've got a good one here in town. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, so, um, Stuart asked, uh, and I probably confused the issue because I showed that Dazzler um, game Duino last week and I was using that to create video effects. All of these are uh, created by um, either in real time when I did the live section of the show, like I'm doing here, um, in my broadcast software, in this case, I'm setting a layer. So you can think of a layer metaphor. And the bottom layer, in this case, is this picture at Adafruit. Uh, or I can just go to black. Uh, so those are done in, this case, in Wirecast. And then in the edits, I'm shooting on green. And then later, when I go into edit in Premiere, I'm doing the same thing. I'm putting a background. In those cases, it might be a looped video background, uh, which is what I did. Um, I made a little... Uh, sort of fading loop of clouds so it could just go endlessly. Um, but the, uh, the process did not involve the Dazzler. So sorry if there was confusion there. Um, 
Also, if you're wondering about getting this kind of effect to happen on Zoom or WebEx, um, what you can do is use something like, I'm using like Wirecast, you can use OBS, uh, Open Broadcast Software, I think, OBS. Uh, if you use software that can do the real-time live composite, many of those pieces of software can act as a virtual webcam, and they broadcast what they're doing as a USB webcam to the rest of your operating system. And so then you can open up Zoom and you can pick OBS as your, or Wirecast as your um, camera. It doesn't know it's not a webcam. And then you've got all the software control over doing fancy things like changing backgrounds and, and so on, switching cameras if you need to. Um, all that stuff can, um, can happen inside of an app other than Zoom or, or whatever you're using. Um, let's see. I think there was one other question I wanted to... Oh, yeah, I got that. Uh, da, da, da. Anything else? Um, thanks for indulging me. I love talking about this stuff. And uh, uh, it's um, not often that I get to kind of tell everyone, hey, here's how I'm putting this stuff together. Uh, I don't have a separate camera that I can point around at things, so maybe I can do that another time. But, uh, you know, in, in this case, like I said, I've got, um, for when I went to the live section of the show, I kept that background over there up. And I didn't have this immediate one here when I was doing my filming. I didn't need it. But when I went to the live broadcast section, I added this one so that I kind of had two stations I could go to, which is kind of fun. Um, and allows you to set up kind of two, you could set up very different rooms. I could, you know, put two different green screen backgrounds uh, between the two of these. And then to make this work, I have uh, two separate rings of green NeoPixels or color change NeoPixels based on that project. Uh, yes, to pay no attention to the Lars behind the, uh, the curtain back there. Um, so... That I know there was there was a there were some questions about that. So it was a somewhat different setup for live versus pre-recorded because I had this second camera here and, and so I put a second backdrop. Um, but you can see even that that uh, retro screen back there is getting the green light thrown directly back at the camera based on how the retro reflector lenses work inside the fabric. Um, so let's see. I'm just going to check my questions to see if I missed anything. Um, I think that's it. So let me know if you have any other uh, questions. Otherwise, we'll wrap this up. And um, I'll check over in the YouTube, too. I didn't check over there in a little bit. Uh, what is this Doctor Strange magic? I know, Gary, right? It's crazy. I'm still so amazed and fascinated by uh, by this retroflective green screen because look at it Woo. just I'm just ahead uh, and the wild thing is that it's so forgiving of lighting um, I, I definitely could have had a lot of trouble shooting a traditional green screen back there because I only have about a foot of distance behind me and a traditional green screen, you want five, six feet behind you to, to light that and not get light spilled back on your subject, light it evenly. All those things are, are uh, problems that go away magically when you use retroflective material. So I uh, can't get enough of this stuff. Uh, 
All right. Yeah, so doctor, they're not a specific color. They're based on the light. So if I, um, if I turn off the chroma key for a second on this shot, that's the color of the light. I can dim it. I can saturate it, brighten it more. I can switch to blue. Uh, I can switch to white. You can switch to any color you want because it's a set of NeoPixels. Um, in fact, I'll peel this one off. I just have this one taped to my monitor. So all this is is a little cutie pie with a rotary encoder on it. Uh, thanks to Toddbot for this idea and method of getting a rotary encoder right on top of the cutie pie. Uh, and then that just click encoder to different colors and uh, brightness based on that little wheel there. Um, so now I'll see if I can get it back on there. And it just needs to surround your camera because and be on the same plane as the camera because you just want to get um, that light sent from the camera's point of view right to the fabric and then returned. And uh, so long as that happens, the chroma keying is a snap after that. Um, so I can pop that back on and voila, magic. And uh, I think that's gonna do it. Is that everything? All right. Uh, thank you all for stopping by for this very special behind the scenes of the Adabox unboxing. Uh, if you haven't uh, d done it yet, go, go check out the unboxing. If you head to our, uh, not to Donald Duck here, but if you head to uh, Adafruit, you can go to adabox.com. That'll, uh, oh, that didn't work. Adabox. There we go. Uh, that'll take you where you can uh, check the video out uh, that, that I just spent this time talking about, the unboxing. Uh, you can also uh, sign up for the next Adabox. Adabox 19 will be coming in the summer. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Matambale says, can you fashion a reflective long sleeve shirt? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's why this material exists and is inexpensive is because it's used for uh, safety garments and fashion stuff. So you can find this stuff out there or you can sew your own own stuff. So uh, yeah, that'd be great for, for doing some weird uh, head only kind of effects. Um, so yeah, head, head on over to adabox.com, sign up if you haven't. If you uh, head on over to the learn guides and uh, either type in adabox or just check the new guides section, you'll see there's the Adabox 18 guide. The video is right at the top of this second page here. And, uh, and we also go through all the contents of this, this one for the Funhouse. Uh, all right, I think that's gonna do it for today. Uh, so thank you everyone for stopping by and I will see you next Tuesday for a new JP's product pick of the week and then uh, following Thursday for a workshop. Bye-bye.